Hello and welcome back to Pharmacist Diaries, the podcast that reveals the secret lives of pharmacists, from where their journeys began, where they are now, and everything in between. I am your host, Anisha Patel, and today I am super excited to invite Clement Hake onto the podcast. Clement is uh, one of the FIP Early Career Pharmaceutical Group members. He is the chairperson of Liaison. He has a role to help uh, gain involvement from all the special interest groups within the Early Careers Pharmaceutical Groups. Uh, He works alongside Amanda and Safier, who were in previous episodes of the podcast, so episodes 101 and 102. So if you haven't heard those, go back and listen to them. Um, All of these three pharmacists work together for FIP, so it's a really interesting mix of uh, professionals and uh, different skill sets and what they do for the organization. However, the interesting part about this week's episode is that Clement is from France. He studied pharmacy in his home country, but he had the opportunity to spend some time in the UK during his pharmacy degree because there was a really cool exchange program. So from the beginning of his journey, we identify that he absolutely loves travel. He really enjoys the global aspect of pharmacy and that passion continues throughout his career. So he starts off his uh, pharmacy career in the industry. He's very fascinated by research and the the scientific side of pharmacy and has worked for uh, multiple organizations in this space and is currently living in New York City. We also hear a lot about his passion for travel and he spends uh, six months traveling around the world, not only to learn about different cultures and see different countries and explore the globe, but he meets pharmacists everywhere that he goes and explores conferences and explores the profession from a different perspective, which is super commendable and clearly, clearly demonstrates his dedication to the profession. Um, I, I love this episode because we hear so much about Clement's motivation to mentor other pharmacy students and pharmacists, especially those who are going into PhDs and going down the industry route because he loves to provide them with support or I guess inside a view of what it's like to go down this pathway and helping them to prevent uh, the mistakes that they might make or give them advice along their journey um, from, I guess, his experience and um, how he can improve their their journey within their PhD. So yeah, it's a great episode. Can't wait for you guys to listen to it. And um, yeah, tune in. Tell me why you wanted to become a pharmacist in the first place. Um, so initially, um, when I was in high school, um, I I wanted I love chemistry, so I wanted to study chemistry initially, um, but. Uh, I knew I didn't want to go only only studying chemistry and not sure if I would end up as a a chemist or as a researcher or if I know if I couldn't go through this path most of the time you would end up as a chemistry teacher so I wanted to make sure I have more option more options so I, I like the health aspect so I considered studying medicine and pharmacy and because there were more chemistry in pharmacy, I chose pharmacy. 
Amazing. And what was university like for you? Did you uh, continue your journey with enjoying, I guess, the chemistry kind of modules that you were involved in in the first couple of years? And um, I assume you loved pharmaceutics as well and kind of any of the sort of uh, sciencey and, you know, industry related kind of subjects that you go through as a student. Yes, so doing my PharmD uh, school in France, uh, I tried to specialize more in uh, industry and research. So I did some internship and like extracurricular uh, activities linked to uh, chemistry or medicinal chemistry, organic chemistry research. I did an internship placement during my second and third year in a medicinal chemistry lab. And then I realized, actually, I don't like the lab uh, aspect of medicinal chemistry. So I tried to shift my focus to um, different uh, fields. So I was more interested in pharmaceutics, drug delivery. Um, That's why I I did my uh, master in drug delivery and pharmaceutics. And what is it about, I guess, drug development and pharmaceutics that you're quite passionate about? What was it a university that really kind of gave you that drive to consider a career pathway down this route? Uh, so first, um, I had very good, um, enthusiastic and entertaining uh, professor, um, Professor uh, Jürgen uh, Zipman uh, is uh, German initially and uh, is quite n- known in the pharmaceutical drug delivery field. And is, he has always very entertaining and uh, interesting uh, lectures. And so I, that's why I, I was very interested in this topic. And I like the f- uh, formulation drug delivery aspect because uh, we are able to, uh, using uh, drug powder and different uh, excipients, uh, powder of different excipients, we can formulate a drug and then bring it to uh, the market or at least in clinical trials and hopefully bring it to the market. Yeah, amazing. I mean, yeah, I really enjoyed that aspect of um, pharmacy as well as a student, but I loved the whole patient education, counseling and being in front of patients day in, day out. Like that's, I knew like that's where i belonged um as a student um but there are elements of research that we can now incorporate obviously into our hospital roles or community roles or now I'm in academia so um I guess it's nice that I have a little bit of both um um which is enjoyable and once you once you finished uh pharmacy in in France I, I've recorded a podcast episode with a friend of mine who is also a French pharmacist. So um, we have talked a little bit about what it's like to work as a pharmacist in France. Did you start working or did you go straight to the UK to pursue your PhD? So um, I was lucky. So during my PharmD in France, I was lucky to do a one-year exchange uh, program in the UK. So I got to experience the the whole uh, M-Farm year in the UK. So I did the third year M farm in the UK. I, it was part of the uh, European Union Erasmus uh, exchange program. Nowadays, it's more difficult, I think, to find. <laughs> but uh, I was very lucky that my university had an agreement with the University of Kent, so I could spend the whole year uh, in the UK um, to study uh, pharmacy. And I, I really enjoyed uh, my time there and understanding the UK M farm uh, degree. Um, 
so I still consider even going into hospital pharmacy uh, by the end of my degree. Uh, but in France, when you want to go to a hospital pharmacy, uh, you have to take another competitive examination uh, at the end of the fifth year. And it's a national com competitive examination. And it's very selective, very competitive. And because I already went through the, uh, the first year uh, uh, competitive uh, examination, at the end of the first year in France, you, you need to go through the, this um, competitive examination to go into the second year. And because I already went through this, I didn't want to go to another competitive examination. And I wanted to work abroad, so I decided more to go into uh, industry and research and, and then so specialize more in um, yeah, research and industry. So I did um, a master in uh, drug delivery and formulation in Paris, in a different, different university in Paris, for my sixth and final year of the PharmD. And then I... I didn't end up working in a hospital or community. Uh, I only did a mandatory placement throughout my PharmD. And then I went straight, look for a PhD program uh, in abroad. Uh, I wanted to go abroad just to explore new horizons, new countries. And I know that, uh, especially if I wanted to work abroad after, it would have more value to my uh, profile to have like a PhD from a different country. So I, I look for... PhDs abroad and I so I applied to many PhDs and I got the opportunity to directly uh, do a PhD in Belfast right after my foundy. That's amazing do you know what I didn't know that the French universities had such brilliant programs where you could work in other countries or spend an entire year abroad like that is such an incredible opportunity that you had and what an amazing experience like in your sort of maybe early 20s, you must have been 20 or 21, to come and live in the UK, in Kent, for a year and immerse yourself in the English environment. I mean, that's cool. I love that. Yes. Oh, that's great. Did you find there was a big difference between the undergraduate program in France and in the UK? Because I feel like from the conversations I've had with my friend, uh, Lely, so she did... Um, she came to work with us um, at the Evelina, where I work, the children's hospital. She came on an internship. So I interviewed her for the podcast and I learned so much about how challenging and competitive it is to work in hospital pharmacy. Um, and she's also kind of like asked me a lot about like residency programs and like what opportunities there are and if that's mandatory, um, which it isn't in the UK. So we've had some really interesting discussions about the differences between the UK and France. Um, it would be lovely to hear your perspective on what university is like in, in both countries. Yes. So at the moment, uh, the the residency program to specialize in hospital pharmacy in France, usually it's a four-year uh, residency program after this national competitive examination. So you're ranked and then you can choose your location and specialty. So it's either hospital pharmacy, uh, uh, biomedical laboratory, uh, or, and now there's, they had a industry research path, but uh, to like to do a combined PharmD PhD. Um, but this is based a few places on this. And now they are currently reforming this whole program and they want to incorporate uh, community pharmacy as one of the options uh, to have, a, I think, a 
better, I don't know, more. So everyone will have to go through the program, kind of, I think, a national exam. Um, but it's still under um, discussion to see how they will um, do this. And so the, uh, I noticed the difference between the UK and France is, I noticed in the UK, it's way more clinical and you start way earlier the clinical aspect. Uh, so you have the old skis uh, where you do a patient interaction from the second or third year or even earlier nowadays. Um, in France, you only start this in your fourth or fifth year. So it's, I think, very late. Nowadays, I think they're still, uh, they're reforming these days the French pharmacy curriculum. So I think nowadays they're trying to incorporate earlier also. But France is way more theoretical, like hardcore science until fourth year. And you only incorporate a bit uh, clinical and community pharmacy from the third year. I think it's quite hard to get a balance, though, because there is so much to learn in a pharmacy degree. You've got all the science, you've got the communication skills, the consultation skills, all the clinical content. I mean, there's an incredible amount of clinical content to learn. Um, But I think because we're quite fortunate in the UK as to how advanced the profession is and how much opportunity there is to work in pharmacy and the variety, um, the skill set like now where we can be prescribers and we can run our own clinics in our GP practices or in hospital clinics. I mean, there's not many countries who have, you know, branched out to have pharmacists work in this capacity. So I'm definitely very fortunate to be living here and working here. Um, I've done my prescribing course. I work in pediatrics and in palliative care. So it's really exciting that I now have the opportunity to potentially prescribe for my patients. Like that's really exciting. Um, But uh, it's also, I mean, it's great that we learn from each other. So in the role I have, we have international pharmacists coming over for internships and they learn so much about what we're doing in the UK. We also learn about what they're doing in their home countries. Um, But a lot of the kind of process of them coming over is to then implement some change in their home hospital or their home community pharmacy or wherever they work so it's really interesting to I guess see that um, perspective Um, so I guess when you finished your degree and you wanted to um, apply for that PhD what was your motivation for getting it done immediately Um, because there is also a lot of debate within pharmacy as to whether you get it done straight away because you've already done, you've done six years, right, of university and here you are continuing to study. And also from a financial perspective, we have to think about the fact that you're not going to be earning as much income as a pharmacist. Um, What were your thought processes when you made that decision? So uh, in France, for people who want to do like a pharmacist researcher or like pharmacist scientist, um, it's quite common to do the PhD right after the PharmD. And... um, I, I just knew I didn't want to stay in France because I, I, f- I feel the, the PhD are not valued enough and not well recognized. So that's why I directly was looking for to do a PhD abroad. And so I, I applied through many different kind of PhD programs, went through some interviews. In the end, I got um, four offers. And so I was able to choose, which is very nice. And I was only looking for like funded PhDs so I could have like a salaries and kind of, for me, I consider it as a job, not as a still studying. Uh, 
even if it's a, it's a mixture of studying, but also working on your, on your uh, PhD project and trying to deliver your, your project to the end and, uh, and then graduate with your PhD at the end. Tell us a little bit about the um, topic of your PhD. What did, what did you uh, decide to do? Um, so I, initially I was interested more in uh, cancer research um, because it's, I know it's where there's, there's a lot of funding to develop new uh, cancer treatment, so in uh, drug delivery formulation. So my master's uh, research project was actually a six-month uh, internship in France where I, I was developing uh, nanomedicine for uh, anti-cancer treatment. And then when I, so when I applied for PhD, I applied for wide, a wide variety of uh, PhDs, and uh, some of them were more cancer research and some completely different topics. And um, I chose my PhD more based on um, the feeling I had with my uh, the PhD supervisor when I did the interview. And so my PhD ended up being um, in a very different field. Uh, so I worked on developing uh, a combination uh, product that is one uh, intramuscular injection for contraception and HIV prevention. So it's a yeah, very different field. Amazing. And, and why did you think that putting a lot of emphasis on, I guess, that kind of relationship or the feeling that you had with your supervisor was important? And I guess, was that perception of um, that relationship, did it come true? Like it, it, it was a benefit? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm so glad I picked my PhD supervisor and my PhD at the same time. Uh, because I had a very good uh, relationship uh, with my PhD supervisor. Up to this day, we are still uh, keeping in touch. And uh, um, I'm very happy and lucky I chose this PhD. And also, the reason why I did this is uh, I had a previous bad experience with an internship supervisor uh, who was not supporting. So... That's why I, I was I wanted to make sure I have uh, a good supervisor because you have to stay with your supervisor for at least three years, and you need to make sure they are, are willing to support you and uh, encourage you to finish your whole PhD. And um, so, for example, when I did some PhD interviews, I asked the, the, the potential PhD supervisor, uh, "What would you expect from me as, as a PhD student?" Um, and some potential PhD supervisor replied, uh, hard work, including evening and weekends. And it's not the nice thing you want to hear, but the first thing you want to hear when you ask this kind of question. And fortunately, my PhD supervisor replied, um, as long as you do the work and you're motivated to finish the program, I would be happy to support you. And I, I really like the nice atmosphere and I had a very good feeling about it and I'm glad it happened to uh, materialize when I was actually doing the PhD. Oh, that's amazing. And it's really important to, uh, I guess, have that awareness of, you know, what you're going into because it's a very it's very different to studying pharmacy. You're feeling you, you probably feel like you need to be so much more independent in the way that you're working. So having a support network is absolutely vital. 
You can definitely make friends with other students who are obviously doing their PhDs alongside you, which is great, but you also moved countries. So that's a challenge in itself. It's not like you're in your own kind of comfort zone with your family and your friends and in your own city. You're literally moving to another country and having to build all those relationships. So in order to be successful in this PhD, you need to have that rock solid supervisor to kind of guide you along the way. But it's very difficult in one interview to figure out, you know, you got to kind of go with your gut, right? Yes. Yeah. And I heard the advice from other people is the best is to ask the current or the former lab members. You can ask them for feedback. That's uh, now the advice I give to my mentees when they apply for their own master's or PhD program. I, I always ask them, contact the former lab members because they will be willing to speak out and say if it's a nice PhD supervisor or not. Cool. That's a good idea. I like that. Um, and you're using your own experience to guide other people along the way. Um, I, are there actually um, networks within like the PhD community where you can talk to each other and find out information like this? Um, uh, yeah, are there any communities that, or groups that you can join? Um, so th there are associations for like every specific field of uh, um, like pharmacy or pharmaceutical sciences, uh, for example, um, in I, I can start with pharmacy first. So there's the European Pharmaceutical Student Association, EPSA, um, that has a good mentoring program. And I, I am one of the mentors uh, for their program. And that's why I know uh, it's good to ask uh, for advice from our mentors like this. Then there's the International Pharmaceutical Student Federation, IPSF. Uh, and this year, they started their first um, global IPSF um, research lab project. And I'm also one of the mentors there. In, and then otherwise, in the pharmaceutical sciences field, um, every sp specific topic or subject, they have their own association. So, for example, in... There's um, a control release society that's more specialized in formulation drug delivery, and they have their own uh, network for early career or young uh, researchers, scientists. There's also the uh, American Association of Pharmaceutical Scientists, AAPS, um, that's uh, quite known. Uh, and they also have a mentoring program within their um, society. Uh, and I'm sure every specific topic, uh, specific field in pharmaceutical sciences would have their own association and where you could ask um, other uh, PhD, current PhD or former PhDs uh, about different labs. Yeah, no, there's quite a few groups. That's great. I'll include all of that into the show notes and the links um, because I think that would be really useful for people who potentially are listening and wanting to pursue a PhD because mentoring and getting that support is kind of a, a vital element to success and clearly the fact that you're mentoring other students uh, means that you know you know that support is is important in the journey and um, it helps you to stay motivated and you have a have a place to kind of share your feedback and your thoughts and dig deep when times are really hard 
and celebrate success as well when things have gone really um, well, because it's not an easy journey, right? Doing a PhD, it's hard work, um, uh, but it's such a, a rewarding um, aspect of, uh, I guess, becoming a pharmacist and then pursuing uh, further qualifications. Um, so what were your, how long did it take you, by the way? To finish. To finish the PhD. <laughs> the PhD. Um, so it took me, so initially it, um, I had fundings for three years in the lab, um, but I had to extend uh, two more years to finish writing up my thesis um, because I was very slow in writing. And as soon as I finished my PhD, like the lab part of the PhD, I actually found a job in pharmaceutical industry. And I started working full-time in industry. I only had a one month break and then I started right away working in industry. And so during my evenings and weekends, I was finishing to write my thesis. Oh. It, it took me way more time than I thought it would. <laughs> so I had to extend like one year and a half. So it, in total, it took me four and a half years, I think, to finish the whole PhD. Well, that's incredible to work full time and still finish your um, thesis. That's I commend you for that. That's hard work. Now, when you look at that initial supervisor that you interviewed, hard work, evenings, weekends, that ended up being you for a short period of time. Yeah, but it was my own will. It was not yeah. <laughs> imposed it wasn't by an, but... Yeah, It wasn't an expectation from someone else, but it ended up happening anyways, but from a choice of your own. Yes, amazing. Um, so tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, what what was the what was the job that you found and um why did you decide to apply for that so as during my phd i knew i wanted to go to industry because i already did uh internship or placement uh during my farm the uh, uh abroad uh during the summers so i knew i wanted to go to industry and so i applied to many different pharmaceutical companies uh and i was trying to stay within the uk so it's easier if i have to uh, stay close to belfast or uh, if I have to go back to Belfast, um, uh, then to, uh, defend my PhD thesis. And, and so then I got the opportunity to work as a senior analyst at, uh, Almac. Um, it's a pharmaceutical company in Northern Ireland and they do, uh, their own product, but they also do a contract, uh, research, uh, project. So they are a contract research organization that, um, it means they, they are contractor for other pharmaceutical companies, so big pharmaceutical companies or small, medium-sized companies. And um, so I was working uh, there in more in pharmaceutical analysis. Um, and uh, so I was analyzing um, drug substance and drug particles. Um, so it was good uh, add-on to develop more skills. And I tried to learn as much as I could. And... Um, I really enjoyed my time there. I had very good supervisors also in industry, so it was always nice to have. It, is it quite daunting to apply for, for such a role when you don't necessarily know if you've got all the skills to do uh, the job? And uh, is is there a training program that supports you once you're in the job as well? So usually the pharmaceutical companies, all the big pharma, they all have their graduate program that they usually recruit M-Farm of PhD uh, graduates uh, to train them right on the job. And so usually you do rotation in different uh, departments before you choose your final 
uh, department. Uh, I was lucky. I was in a very niche area and I had the skills that they wanted. So it was a good fit for me and for them. And then, so then on the job, uh, they provide uh, training and support. Usually during the first six months of any job, you will have a lot of trainings and um, support to make sure you follow all the rules and regulation in the pharmaceutical industry especially when you work in a GMP environment, a good manufacturing practice environment, because there's a lot of uh, rules to follow and and you, you cannot make mistakes. Everything has to be recorded. So um, it's very important to um, follow all this process. And that's why they have a very long training. Um, but it was a very good opportunity to get more skills and then also add to my CV that uh, I had industry experience to then the next step after. What, what was the next step? So as soon as I finished my PhD, I finished writing my PhD. Uh, as soon as I submitted the thesis for evaluation to the panel and before the final defense, I actually quit my job uh, and I wanted to take a break <laughs> after um, my PhD to um, travel and then meet uh international pharmacist friends. Um, so throughout the International Pharmaceutical Student Federation, IPSF, and the European uh, one, EPSA, I was able to meet many international uh, pharmacists throughout the world. And I met friends with some of them through conferences or attending the World Health Assembly, for example. And so I bought a one-way ticket to go to uh, Indonesia and uh, meet uh Indonesian pharmacists there. They, they had the IPSF uh, regional symposium uh, of the Asia-Pacific region in Indonesia. So I started my trip there and then I traveled around uh, throughout Indonesia, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, and Taiwan over six months. Amazing. And I love that you incorporated pharmacy into your travels. That is a true you know, dedicated uh, pharmacy professional. I love that. That's exciting. Tell us more about the the travel side. What were the kind of like highlights of your trip? Where did you like the most? Um, I really love, like every country have their own pros and cons, but uh, I think um, Australia and New Zealand are very faraway countries that you don't get to go very often. So it was kind of, I felt it was like, oh, my once in a lifetime opportunity to go there and spend enough time. So it was very enjoyable to see. I think they have a very nice nature landscapes all throughout uh, Australia, New Zealand. So I was able to uh, travel like west side of Australia and south and east and north side of Australia. Uh, Like I was able to see the Great Barrier Reef and go snorkeling there. and then one month later, I was snorkeling and uh, uh, I was skiing in New Zealand because it was winter there. Uh, uh, one of my best friends uh, is based in New Zealand, uh, is a community pharmacist in New Zealand. And uh, so it was very nice to uh, go uh, ski uh, with him. And then he just told me at the time that, oh, I have to be there that specific week because he had another Australian pharmacist coming to visit so we could go skiing together that week. Uh, It was the only week I knew I had to be somewhere. Otherwise, it was very um, freestyle uh, planning. And uh, I just planned a 
my trip a bit last minute along the way and decided to meet a pharmacist friend along the way and trying to see when they were available and uh, plan everything. And, and then after I went to, so Singapore, Malaysia, Thailand, uh, very nice also landscapes and nice cities, good food. Uh, I like Asian food, so it was uh, very nice. And and then I moved to uh, Taiwan. Actually, um, I had a working holiday visa uh, for Taiwan. Um, so I, w- I wanted to study a Mandarin there. Uh, so I, I took a three-month interns course uh, at the university in Taipei. And then I started looking for a job uh, at the end of uh, 2019. Yes. Amazing. Oh, I love this story. This is great. I'm so glad that you enjoyed uh, traveling so much and seeing all your pharmacy friends and, yeah, exploring the world and nature. And what a different experience to doing you know, an intense pharmacy program and doing a PhD where you're constantly, you know, studying and, you know, it's hard work and you're following all these rules in your job and like, you know, you'd have no spontaneity. It's all, it's all work, work, work. And then you have freedom. It's like true freedom to do what you want, when you want, how you want. Um, it feels good, right? I love that. I lo- I do. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of traveling myself. Um, my dad's actually from Kenya and my mom's from Uganda. So I spent a lot of time in East Africa as a child. Um, I lived in the US for a while, nearly a decade um, in Virginia. So I studied my undergraduate degree there. And then my parents moved to California. So I lived there for a bit um, and then came back home to study pharmacy here in the UK. I've lived in the UAE. So I've been, lived in both Dubai and Abu Dhabi and worked as a pharmacist and, you know, got involved with the Formula One um, in Abu Dhabi, which was incredible to work as a pharmacist uh, for that. Um, and yeah, I just very much enjoy uh, exploring the world, just like you. Um, even as a resident pharmacist, I convinced one of my managers to give me three months off so I could, um, you know, go to Nepal and do the Annapurna circuit um, hiking and then like travel around India with one of my best friends who's a pharmacist. Um, who And we also climbed Kilimanjaro together a couple of years earlier um, when we first qualified. So I totally understand the... Um, for me, it's like an obsession uh, to uh, like a need to explore different places, but also enjoy uh, pharmacy. So I, I get to enjoy my profession um, and learn so much about what pharmacy has to offer in other countries. I really think it's broadened my kind of understanding um, of pharmacy on a global scale. And it's really fun. Uh, to see what kind of like how the rules are different, how counseling is different, what the culture is like, what education is like. The perception of pharmacists is completely different. Um, when I worked in Abu Dhabi and I worked in a hospital, um, pharmacists aren't necessarily valued in the same way as we are in the UK. Um, it's sort of more of uh, what the doctor says goes and what the pharmacist does is give out the medicines. Um, so, you know, uh, the perception of our profession, uh, you know, is different. Um, the rules around controlled drugs were completely different. Um, uh, there were points when I lived in Abu Dhabi where um, I was worried I might go to prison because the rules were so strict on controlled drugs. Um, so that was quite scary and different, but 
exciting at the same time to be part of yeah a completely different culture um so I'm loving that you you know to hear your your journey of taking a break and being spontaneous and enjoying yourself a true adventure I love that and congratulations to you for like finding a job in these countries because I know yeah, it was difficult in the UAE and Abu Dhabi to find a job there yeah it was so hard it was really challenging but um I made it happen I was crazy I applied for so many things uh similar to you know you with the PhD um you know I was going to visit hospitals going to industries and giving my handing out my CV going to every conference that pharmacy had to offer there and trying to make myself known obviously I had to learn a little bit more Arabic because um, when you immerse yourself in the culture and you can speak more of the language you are a little bit more respected in the community um, and I really pushed my way even into Cleveland Clinic in Abu Dhabi, constantly going to kind of like make friends for, with, with people who work there and then getting in with the director of pharmacy. And yeah, he gave me a job, um, which was amazing. Um, and it's kind of all about networking and it's all about that kind of uh, communication and, and building friendships within the profession. It was very challenging compared to the UK simply because in the NHS and in retail pharmacy here, there are so many jobs I mean when you go online the amount of jobs that are available to you is like you know picking sweets in a in a candy store like you've got everything and anything um so it was very different to go there and feel like there was nothing and you really had to like dig deep it's like a needle in a haystack trying to find something that works for you so I was very fortunate and I found an amazing role and uh, what an adventure I went on in that in that um, in that journey so yeah very cool um, yeah so tell us about um, the, yeah I guess your next steps after after traveling so so when I was in Taiwan so I was studying Mandarin uh, intense uh, Mandarin course at the university in Taipei and I started looking for a new job and I was trying to first um, stay in Taiwan, uh, still in formulation, drug delivery, uh, research development. Um, I had a few interviews and um, one lab they were willing to take me on, but uh, the HR people didn't want to risk the investment on a, a foreigner because uh, <laughs> they were scared I would not stay long enough. Uh, so in the end, I... I couldn't find a job there, so I um, I moved back to um, to France to my parents' house in France, and I started looking for a job more in Europe. And um, then the pandemic started, <laughs> uh, so I was lucky. I actually uh, found a job, uh, and I started a job in April 2020, uh, working for Johnson and Johnson, and I was in pharmacovigilance and medical information. Uh, my team was based in uh, Dublin, Ireland, um, and I I worked remotely from my parents' house in France, and and I was due to uh, move to uh, to Dublin, uh, but the, with the pandemic ongoing, uh, they kept postponing the move dates, and in the end, I had uh, another opportunity uh, arise uh, that. Um, I got a job offer to, uh, to move to New York and it's uh, in my current company now. Uh, and it's, it was back in, uh, um, I would be back in formulation and drug delivery. 
And so I took the job and same, I had to wait for the U.S. embassy uh, in Paris to reopen so I could apply for my visa. So while waiting for this, I still continue f- to work for uh, Johnson & Johnson, uh, but I didn't like the pharmacovigilance medical information uh, aspect too much. Um, so I, I'm glad I, I went back to uh, to the lab and working in formulation drug delivery. And, um, and I've been uh, in New York since September 2020. Okay, cool. Okay, let me take two steps back. First, um, how did you find the job at Johnson & Johnson? Because I think this is a lot, a lot of people who listen to the podcast who kind of want to go down the industry route. I think if you haven't done a PhD, for example, and you finish your pharmacy degree and then you want to go into industry, there is a perception in the pharmacy society or the pharmacy profession um, in the UK that there's such a tiny percentage of pharmacists who can then transition from university directly into an industry role. Um, where where do you look for these types of jobs? Where do you find them? So first, I think for like UK-based pharmacists or a European-based pharmacist, uh, the easiest is the anti uh, the entry graduate program. Um, all the big pharmaceutical companies they have this kind of uh, fresh graduate program uh, where you do rotation in different uh, departments before you choose your final department. So I know most of my industrial pharmacist friends. That's what they did. Um, Otherwise, if you have a PhD, you already have a niche, so they, uh, and you have usually technical skills. So it's more uh, looking for the jobs to LinkedIn or all the um, job search websites, and um, and then it's all about networking. Like in especially in industry, in the pharmaceutical industry, you need to have a very good LinkedIn profile and make sure it's up to date and. Um, you write down all your skills, your experience, and 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 this is actually how uh, I was contacted by a headhunter to work at Johnson and Johnson. So I didn't even apply for the job; they came to look for me because they found me on LinkedIn and say, "Oh, um, uh, would you be interested to apply for this job?" And I did, and and I was lucky also because it was during the pandemic. So. <laughs> Amazing. I didn't realize the, I mean, LinkedIn is amazing and there is a a massive network of pharmacists and pharmaceutical companies, hospitals. I mean, everyone's on there and it's becoming a a major place to actually find jobs, right? Even when I worked in the UAE, I used LinkedIn to find roles and network with people, make friends, find out when conferences were. So you're right, like networking is 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 a huge kind of um, a, a valuable aspect of finding the right jobs for you. Um, and it is, yes, you're right, keeping your kind of profile um, active and up to date is really important. So if you're headhunted, people can kind of know more about you simply by looking at that profile. Do you think that all the choices that you've made to date have led to that fact where you're getting headhunted or do you think that it's chance that people find you? It could be a mix of both, but yeah, definitely. I'm glad I had my LinkedIn was kind of up to date at the time. So it was, uh, I think it was, it's good that I, I had my, I was ready to be headhunted, I think. And that's why, uh, 
I got this opportunity. And, and I actually advise all my mentees to, the first thing I always advise them is get your LinkedIn ready. So by the time you graduate, you should have at least 500 plus connection and to show that you're really ready to work and to be on the job market. And especially in the pharmaceutical industry, um, people want to make sure you're connected and you know your field or you know you have good connection in the pharmaceutical industry. That's really interesting, you know, because when you look at hospital pharmacy or retail pharmacy, I mean, I've worked in hospital for over a decade now and I genuinely don't look at people's LinkedIn profiles as part of the recruitment process. You literally are looking at their application and what they put on the application and you don't um, think laterally like, oh, let me go check out what's happening on their LinkedIn profile and see what it's like because it's just not common process. So it's interesting that with industry, that is something that's really, yeah, valuable and useful for people to know. So thanks for sharing that. Um, so uh, the second question I had was, what was it about um, pharmacovigilance and kind of medical information that you didn't like so much? Um, so the part that I didn't like about uh, pharmacovigilance and medical information is it was too repetitive to for me. And I already did um, hospital pharmacy, like placement in pharmacovigilance in France. So I already knew what to expect. Uh, I took the job because uh, at the time it was a pandemic. So I was glad to get any job. <laughs> and, and it was still a very good experience to uh, work for Johnson & Johnson. Uh, and I'm so glad I still got the experience. So yeah, the only part I didn't like, it's just... Um, too repetitive to me and um yes and i at the time i saw there was no opportunity to progress and to learn more skills or like to change department easily so that's why uh, and then i move on to uh, another opportunity in the us and maybe were you missing the lab yes also a bit yeah of course yeah <laughs> Amazing. So, um, yeah, tell us about uh, where you're working now, uh, your kind of motivation behind moving to the US and, uh, yeah, what you're getting up to. So when I started looking for jobs again in like early 2020 um, and during the pandemic, uh, so I applied mostly in, in Europe first and I also started applying in the US because uh, I know they are very good um research and development labs in the pharmaceutical industry um, in the US. And um, I um, just decided to uh, follow this path. And um, so currently now I'm, I'm working at the Population Council, um, which is a very unique environment because it's a, a nonprofit uh, NGO. And uh, we work similarly to... Uh, a small pharmaceutical industry uh, where we have a uh, research and development labs, and we worked on uh, based on public and private fundings. Um, we develop uh, pharmaceutical drug products, and so currently, um, so my nonprofit NGO is specialized in uh, sexual and reproductive health products. So we mostly focus on developing uh, contraceptive, anti-HIV, anti-STI products, or a combination of all of these. And um, it's similar to what I did during my PhD in terms of the field. So it was uh, a good continuation. And uh, 
I'm really enjoying the aspect that it's uh, very diverse and every day is very different. And I'm still learning every day new things about uh, pharmaceutical engineering or pharmaceutical analysis, um, how to plan uh, long-term stability uh, protocol for drug products or how to develop a new uh, drug formulation on, uh, for example, now I'm working on a, a vaginal ring uh, products, which is very different from an injectable, for example. So it, it's very interesting to change uh, the dosage form and uh, developing new skills by uh, learning all these. Um, and when you say there's a lot of variety in the role, can you tell us a little bit more about, yeah, what does your day-to-day look like in terms of variety? So it's very hard to say because I think every day yeah, it's different. Uh, but it's, it's a mixture of uh, preparing um, experiment in the lab, um, then uh, just making sure, sourcing all the excipient or the drug powder you need and uh, planning so your, all your lab experiments. And then in my lab, we have a team of uh, three technicians and one uh, quality insurance, quality control specialist, and my lab manager. and um, we all work together uh, to um, develop this product. And then we do um, uh, some stability testing on um, products that are currently in clinical trials. Then we also do manufacturing of um, vaginal rings for clinical trials, for example. And currently, uh, I'm, uh, qualif- I'm doing the qualification of a new uh, injection molding machine. It's a new a machine to manufacture vaginal rings. Um, and so it's, yeah, every day is very different and I'm still learning new things every day. Very, uh, a, a big variety in the, the skills as well that you need. What do you think are kind of like your, um, the main skills that you use in this role that are potentially different to what a hospital pharmacist or a community pharmacist would need? I would say it's more the technical um, skills that are required. Uh, you need to have a very good solid uh, chemistry knowledge or analytical chemistry, then pharmaceutical engineering. Um, that's, yeah, I think that's the most important aspect that we need compared to hospital or community pharmacy. Otherwise, I think there are some similarities. Uh, for example, even if I don't have direct patient, uh, I feel that uh, I'm gonna have to collaborate uh, uh, with different people from different departments. And this is kind of similar as speaking to different uh, patients, I feel. So it's you have to be very good at um, communicating with a wide range of different people. Amazing, and how do you like New York City? I really love uh, New York City, I think it's very, uh, exciting and interesting uh, city to be in and there's always new things happening and it was even more interesting to move here during the pandemic because I so I moved here in September 2020 and the city was very empty at the time there were no tourists anymore because uh, there was a lot of like a ban of uh, a visa ban and like tourist ban for like non no e- uh, European tourists could come to the US so it's very quiet and very empty and it was nice also to see the city coming back to life and now it's 
back in full motion, I think, and it's full of tourists again, and all the prices went back up also. <laughs> so it's very uh, crazy and interesting city. Yeah, no, I've been there a few times and I do love it. I'm not sure I could live there though. It's quite intense. I mean, here in the UK, I'm living in Hertfordshire and it's really countryside. There's cows and sheep and quiet lanes and a lot of greenery, very different to New York. Um, but I do like coming there for holidays for sure. And I do love um, the seasons. Um, there's so much to do there. Um, and you obviously have greenery there it's just slightly different to obviously what the uk has to offer um but the us in general is really uh, a fun place to live there's so much going on the weather is really good um and when you're in new york you're you're so close to other places you can travel up to canada for long weekends if you really wanted to um you've got you know skiing in kind of the the north side of the state if you really like that kind of uh, adventure um so yeah there's a lot to offer so it's it's nice to to hear that you're again on your your next country on your list of places to live i love it um i mean we're here because obviously we've connected through uh the fact that i'm doing a podcast series with fip and the early careers pharmaceutical group so tell us how you got involved with that and what your role is at the moment so I think it's similar to uh, Safie uh, and Amanda. Uh, I, we actually knew Safie and Amanda earlier through uh, the International Pharmaceutical Student Federation, IPSF. And uh, most of us, we all trans- transited from the student level to the early career pharmacist level with FIP. And um, I was already volunteering a lot with IPSF and uh, EPSA, and then I I just wanted to stay active and keep uh, networking uh, with early career pharmacists. So I, I joined the early career pharmaceutical group or young pharmaceutical group uh, in the past. And I I was first a liaison uh, for the drug delivery and manufacturing special interest group, SIG, um, for the last uh, two years. And and. Was in this role, I was able to like um, network with uh, professors and uh, scientists working in drug delivery and manufacturing. And we submitted a session proposal for FIP uh, World Congress and the Pharmaceutical World Congress. Um, there was one in 2020, uh, and it, it was remote uh, in in Canada. Um, and then I. Uh, last year, I applied to become the chairperson of Liaison uh, for 2023, and it's my current role now. And uh, it's been a very exciting and interesting uh, journey so far. Uh, you do a lot. You've got mentoring. You've got your your job, which is definitely going to be sort of hard work. I think um, you know you're. It's, it's the type of role where you're using a lot of brain power all day long, it feels. So it's quite intense in terms of what you do on a day-to-day basis. Plus, you know, you're getting involved on an international or a, a global um, scale in different areas. How, how do you find time to do all of this? It's, it requires a lot of uh, planning and management. Uh, but... Uh, the most important is uh, learning to say no. Sometimes uh, you cannot say yes to everything. So uh, 
I still often have to say no to some opportunities, but I'm just trying to plan everything uh, so I'm able to do what I want and what I like. Amazing. Um, any uh, new adventures coming up that we should know about? Um, so so I'm, as I like traveling, I'm always planning for my next trip. And uh, the next big trip, um, big, uh, trip is... Uh, going to attend the FIP World Congress in uh, Brisbane, Australia. So it's at the end of uh, September. And um, it would be very interesting uh, to meet uh, Safie, uh, Amanda, uh, Gonzalo and Ella, the other uh, ECPG uh, steering committee members, and also other early career pharmacists and network with uh, all the pharmacists from like hospital pharmacy, community pharmacy, and pharmaceutical scientist and also industry pharmacist yeah that's gonna be so much fun for sure and i actually i noticed already on the fip website that next year it's in south africa how cool yes, yes. i'm unable to make it this year which is such a shame our our hospital is going live with a new electronic prescribing program in the beginning of October. So kind of the build up to that has been, there's a lot of work going on at the moment and uh, they're trying to encourage us not to take too much time off <laughs> um, in the month beforehand. Um, and because I've recently returned from maternity leave um, and I've taken quite a lot of leave up until now because obviously I still have a really young baby at home um, so I've been kind of taking annual leave to spend time with him as well as, yeah, do my job. Um, and I obviously work at the hospital and the university. Plus I've got the podcast, which is a lot of work now and, uh, work that I love and I enjoy. Um, so I haven't been able to take the time off to join, uh, the FIP Congress this year, but I've got my eyes on 2024 and I've never been to South Africa and that would be absolutely amazing. So maybe our paths will cross. Yes. Um, in another space and I'm so happy that we had the opportunity to get this recording done and I've learned so much about your career journey all the hard work you've been doing I love that we have adventure as something in common um, and traveling that's yeah a, a wonderful part of uh, yeah enjoying being a pharmacist as well as yeah traveling the world so it's an absolute pleasure to get to know you and thank you again for making the time for me tonight Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. And best of luck to all your future podcast recording. And thank you for actually recording because it's very nice and interesting to see uh, you you're kind of advocating for pharmacy and pharmaceutical scientists. So it's very nice. That I'm on a mission. I'm on yes. a mission. And um, I'm trying my best. I was very excited because Safier's episode was 101. And it was a big celebration to get to 100. I mean, it's been, you know, three years of really kind of hard work and it's a passion project outside of a full-time job and life as a parent. I got pregnant during that time. I've had a baby. I was still doing the podcast with a newborn in my arms. Um, you know, it's been, uh, you know, a lot of slog, but it, it makes me realize how much I love uh, my 
profession um, and I truly believe that we don't advocate for a pharmacy enough um, and I think this platform has been a great place to showcase uh, what we've been getting up to and share that with the world so um, yeah it's been a pleasure to get to know you and let's definitely keep this friendship going. <laughs>